Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and thank you for the gift of our lives. I thank you for the gift of trials that humble us. I thank you for the challenges that stretch us to trust in you, that you are God and Lord, and that you have a plan and a purpose, that you are doing things beyond what we imagine, beyond what we see, beyond what we plan. So Lord, give us a grace to believe in your redemptive power, to set free and restore what has been broken and lost. I pray, Lord, that this would touch the hearts of those who are feeling down, discouraged, because of things having gone wrong, trusts betrayed, sins seemingly unable to be shaken off, forward progress being stalled and going in backwards directions, are not seeing the, the breakthroughs that uh, we cling to with hope and promise. So, Lord, be with us, each and all. And, Lord, I ask you to bless those who are in hot weather, experiencing the challenge of hot weather, that they would, Lord, um, be able to uh, rest peacefully and stay cool. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a pretty intense prayer. Uh, maybe I'll share a little bit more why later. Uh, but just to start, I got to spend some time, um, well, what will be your yesterday. This is Tuesday. And uh, this was the, uh, the my first day of freedom from quarantine after having COVID. You noticed that I wasn't on last week because I was quarantining with COVID. And I had... Um, reached my final day of quarantine and had um, finally been able to go out. <laughs> and so what do I do on my first day out? I meet up with Ron Belter. Yes, the president and general manager of Sacred Heart Radio. He was out here in Spokane and he was here to do some yard work. Yes, indeed, yard work. Well, not yard work, more like antenna yard work. So there are a couple of antennas out here um, for Sacred Heart Radio and one of them um, is fenced in, and the it was overgrown. It was overgrown with like holly and vines and lots of brush on the inside. And um, I don't even know how he um, like recognized that. Okay, this needs to be cleaned. But yesterday on the way over here to Spokane, um, actually that would have been on Sunday. No, Monday night. He. Um, said, hey, I'd love some help. Uh, anybody that can help? And I'm like, great, I'll be there with my two boys. And called up a couple other folks, just wonderful Catholic folks in the area who live somewhat close to where the antenna is, the antennas. And so they very graciously gave up some time in the middle of the early afternoon. Let me note that again, early afternoon. Ron, it's super hot in early afternoon like 95 degree hot <laughs> and we needed to wear long pants and a sweatshirt or long sleeves because of all the prickly bushes and so I'm out there and sure enough I'm fine right I can work hard so I was pulling and cutting and, and grabbing and, and pulling up stuff for about 40 minutes and I got really dizzy <laughs> I in, in, in the words that I've heard my father, who's 87 years old, say, or 88 years old recently, uh, I overdid it. And it's the, it's the refrain that we say to our 88-year-old dad regularly, don't overdo it. Now, I'm not 88, <laughs> but I am at the tail end of COVID, and one of the effects that I think a lot of people experienced was tiredness or not the same level of energy. So I'm thinking that working for 40 minutes, tugging and pulling and prodding and cutting and, and in the hot sun with a sweatshirt on and long pants probably wasn't the most prudent thing to do. Now, it was really helpful. I was playing my part, leading the way, getting my boys. Let's work hard, guys. We got this until I was like, I better lean up against this fence or I'm going to fall over. 
And then it's like, you know what? Leaning against a fence is not enough. I got to go sit down. And it's like before I throw up and pass out. So I had to go and sit down under the tree where there's a little breeze and some shade. And I basically got to watch everybody else do the work. Now, gratefully, there were like six other guys there and it was a small space. And the 40 minutes of work of myself and my two sons had done quite a bit. And then when the other guys were diving in, it was like, it only took another 20, 25 minutes and everybody got the rest of it done. That was it. Well, everybody but me, I got to watch. <laughs> and it was, uh, Ron's like, are you okay? And I'm like, do you remember how, like, how I had COVID last week? I said, you remember I said I was like free from symptoms? Yeah, I think I still have a lingering tiredness. And so uh, I'm really happy to clear away the brush, to clear away the obstacles so that the antenna would be safe and be able to continue to um, carry forth Sacred Heart Radio's message in the Spokane area. And as crazy things would have it, Ron was telling me that they were having um, other technical difficulties with a number of stations. And so here he was trying to be present and help with the clearing of the stuff. Um, and yet at the same time, he uh, had to try to handle the technical difficulties of the message being blocked, the message being uh, covered over, needed to be uncovered. Well, you know, it's, um, it, it, for me, it, it, that story helped to uh, like bring out into the light some um, principles of discernment, right? So principles of discernment is like, okay, what am I supposed to do? God, what are you asking me to do? But then also, Lord, how am I supposed to accomplish it? You see, that's where a lot of our sin actually comes in, is, yeah, sometimes we choose to do sinful things, a bad thing, but I think a lot of times we end up choosing to do something that is good or even godly, but we choose to do it in a bad way. And when we do some a good thing in a bad way, it becomes a bad thing. It poisons the goodness that was intended by the thing that we were doing. And so here I am. I'm going to apply that to here. So I am discerning, Lord, how are you going to provide for my family? And I was sharing this with you all um, a few months ago. In this whole spirit of the dynamism of God's call, God, there's the vocation, there is the desperation, and then there is the transformation, right? I'm called, I'm desperate, or I'm poor, I'm impoverished, I'm incapable, and then I'm empowered, right? Those three moments that all need to be present if we're going to fulfill God's call. And I was reflecting on that with you yesterday, and I, and I was putting like emphasis on some of the new insights that had come to me by reflecting on this. And it continued on today. Um, yesterday, one of the things that I highlighted was the way that God called Elijah to choose the place of poverty, to choose a position of desperation. And there I want to call it uh, praiseworthy, this praiseworthy desperation was radical reliance to willfully choose to put oneself in a place of radical reliance upon God's power. In this instance, in the instance of Elijah, it was he was willing to be led by the Lord to a place where he was not able to get food for himself. And he radically relied upon the means which God would use to provide. Okay, did you hear that? It wasn't just the end. It was the means. He could have said, oh, God brought me to this river. And so he's going to provide. And he's going to provide because I'm smart enough to make a fishing a fish pole and catch some fish. So I'm going to do it. No, but the Lord was asking him to up his game, to up his level to a whole new kind of reliance. Ravens will bring you food morning and night. And he trusted. And he experienced this miraculous expression of God's power. He became empowered. He became strengthened through ravens. And then God moved him further. As the water was drying up, um, 
he didn't discern, well, the Lord is going to continue to provide ravens, and now ravens will bring me water too. He was like, no, no, move on from here. Now go talk to this widow. Again, a, another one of those situations where Elijah was asked to put himself into someone's hands. In this instance, to put himself into the hands of someone who uh, was powerless, a widow, a widow who was trying to take care of her son, and not just that, but a poor widow who had nothing. She was literally gathering sticks to make her last meal and then die. That's how desperate she was. That's how powerless she was. That's how she didn't. She wasn't like a wealthy widower that had a huge inheritance that she was going to be able to give generously to Elijah. No, the Lord sent her to a woman who had nothing. She was down to her last handful of flour, her last little scoop of oil. And yet, what happened? This woman, in obedience to the Lord, in obedience to the call that came from Elijah, she experienced generosity, but always on the edge of poverty, where she, for a year, continued to scoop that last cup of flour out and there was always another cup there the next day. So for a year, she lived on the razor's edge of praiseworthy desperation, relying entirely on God. God will provide. And the empowerment was that God provided. So this morning, as Carrie and I were talking, um, this morning and now is Tuesday. Um, so uh, again, I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. Um, Carrie and I were talking, and, and as I was reflecting a little bit more on this uh, poverty, this, again, I'm, I'm poor, I'm radically desperate, I, I shared with her the insight that it's not only that God allows trials and uses trials that bring tremendous suffering in our lives and that basically break us and empty us of any ability to solve the problem, to solve the painful situation that we're in with our own thinking and planning and resources. No, the Lord can also invite us to be willing to be led into places of poverty. And I said, look at St. Francis of Assisi. He was called. But what was the situation in his life when he was called? Well, he was the son of a very influential, wealthy merchant in Assisi, a man of great power, and he had great wealth. Francis was someone who enjoyed the wealth and the comforts that his father offered. Well, when he experienced this call, where he longed to follow the Lord Jesus with a totality, his father intervened publicly and said that he forbade it and that he would cut off Francis. That was the threat. You will no longer have access to all of this provision to all of this wealth, to all of this comfort that my wealth brings you, to the security that you will have if you simply obey me. But Francis discerned differently. And he discerned that, you know what? I didn't need what my father would give to provide for my need. And in fact, the Lord was inviting me to be led into total poverty, total reliance upon the Lord. So much so that you probably know the story. He literally said fine to his father. I renounce that entire inheritance. And he stripped off his fine clothing right there in front of the bishop, <laughs> right there in front of the townspeople. He renounced all of that and he went singing off into the woods. I probably would have been taken away today, but the extreme for him was that what we fear, what we are terrified of, what we avoid at all costs, he embraced as his special mistress, Lady Poverty. For him, poverty had a sweet persona. 
taught Lady Poverty was a precious gift because he literally was putting himself in a place where he had to rely on God. And therefore, something would happen. Well, what was it that would happen? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, St. Francis rejoiced that he was called to embrace poverty, to say yes to his reality that I am poor. In fact, he, along with St. Dominic, were the founders of what were called the mendicant orders. The mendicant orders arose in this uh, end of the 13th, end of the 12th and 13th centuries, where they uh, didn't live in monasteries that would receive lots of gifts, but they would choose poverty to own no possessions and to rely on begging for food to be able to have their next meal. And so the level of poverty that they were invited to choose and what they said yes to was a means to an end. It was a means to them to experience something very precious. What was it? God's power. God's provision. God acting on their behalf. You see, they got to experience God more powerfully. They got to encounter God more intimately, caring for them in their daily needs because they were radically in need of help every single day in the details. And so they were stretched to trust, to end trust, to put themselves in that place where they were not going to be able to take care of themselves, but they would await God's move. They would wait on God to provide. And so that, I got to tell you, that kind of display of God's power is intimately connected to the like capacity the totality of their embrace of poverty. They had a very big door. The doorway of their powerlessness was wide open so that God's power moved with incredible displays, incredible uh, manifestations of the Lord. And they had such a joy. They had such a joy, the joyful troubadours of the Lord, singing, praising, feeling at home in God's creation, in the beautiful uh, things of nature. And you can, again, just read the stories of the supernatural ways that Francis had the ability to connect with God's creation, whether it was the birds singing or not singing, whether it was the wolf that was bothering the town, um, all of these terrorizing the town, all of these things you see as incredible signs of the Lord moving with great power to rebuild his church. You see, if Francis was sent by the Lord to rebuild the church, rebuild my church, it's in ruins. He even got it wrong. He even discerned it incorrectly. He thought he was talking about the Portiuncula down at St. Mary of the Angels. So he started to physically rebuild the church. But the Lord's like, man, Francis, it's actually my church <laughs> that needs to be rebuilt. And you're going to rebuild my church by the radiant life that you live. It'll be magnetic. It'll draw people to you. And people will follow. And you will be a force for renewal. So the call was magnificent, but the poverty was complete. And so the power was prominent. Now, good for Francis. But what about us? What about us? Why are we so slow to believe that we have this intimate call from the Lord in our own way, in our own lives? Well, why are we so quick to avoid those situations of praiseworthy desperation, of radical necessity, are we willing to put ourselves into that place? Again, a lot of us have experienced trials and difficulties where 
Lord, where are you? I'm desperate. You have to move. What's happening in my family right now? Right? For whatever dimension. But what about just hearing a call to say, look, you're not under any stress. You're not under any duress. But I want to invite you. I want to invite you to another level of reliance on me. I bring that up because it's something that I'm discerning right now. And, and really discerning it as a kind of a culmination of little signs, little drops, little inclinations inside of me about how I'm supposed to be spending my time in this moment. And when I say in this moment, uh, right, obviously we, we can contextualize it as what's been happening in the last 50 years, in the last 20 years since the first revelations of the abuse, the last four years since the other revelations of, of the sexual abuse of, um, of uh, teenagers and young men by uh, priests who are having sex with men that these horrible things covered up by so many bishops and cowardly bishops, compromised bishops who are, don't have the capacity to really take this on with any degree of um, seriousness. It's just that sort of the widespread reality of what's actually happened. It's not a theory. It's like, take a look at what actually has happened. And it's really, really sad. It, it's not sad. It's tragic. And so, and then you see the like, okay, where are the courageous priests and other church leaders willing to stand up to say enough is enough, the, the demographic Titanic is sinking and we're losing a generation of young people. And you see all these moral issues that are just holding sway over that whole generation. And where are the voices with strength and, and consistency and insight to, to, to fight back, right? Where is that? And then obviously you have the COVID shutdown stuff and where where was the church? Where is the church in terms of responding with courage to stand up for the faith, to make sure that the faithful can receive the Eucharist and the sacraments and all of that, right? That, that has been a hard journey the last 18 months. And so that shut down so many ministries. It shut down so many ways that people were in ministry. Now, along the way, I did um, like re- vamp or not revamp re-energize the praying of the rosary on facebook something that i've done since 2009 but i had lost the consistency with it when i was doing more consulting work and doing less ministry but in the last year and a half i felt a stronger impulse to go back to praying the rosary and that's come back again it's come back again but not just that and this is where the elijah story and the St. Francis story comes in in a way that's a little bit more relevant to, to my life. So sort of living discernment. I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, are you asking me to trust that if I engage more fully in ministry, because I stopped doing full-time ministry five years ago at the end of 2016, I continued to do the radio, I continued to do some small amounts of speaking, but I spent more time doing consulting work and coaching work to provide more for my family. I just needed to make more money to be able to financially cover the expenses of having the family that I have. And so I'm really wondering, pondering, and listening inside my heart to, to the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to me? Are you saying to me to be like Elijah? You saying to me to be willing to, to be led to a place where I do more church work, more ministry, and, and even principally ministry online, and that you will take care of us financially. Because I'm not going to like reinvigorate an entire nonprofit organization and have a board of directors and a staff and all of that. I, that's not what I believe I'm supposed to do. However, I do have the ability to receive donations. I do have the, I have a, I'm, I'm connected with a, an organization for um, uh, Catholic and Christian missionaries who have independent ministries like mine that they allow me to be able to receive non uh, uh, tax deductible donations. And I, I don't promote it, but only what's like if people email me, they'll say, hey, I want to make a donation to you. How do I do that? And I'll send them a link. 
but uh, that that's just like a uh, like a, an organizational structure. So that's like an asset right in front of me. And, and I'm like, Lord, are you saying that if I engage in the things that I have a background in and I'm good at, that you're going to cover what I need financially if I didn't pursue more consulting contracts? So that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> are you, you going to bring me to like a widow that's going to just give me, am I going to be like that widow that just gets the cup that I need every month? Like, what's this going to mean? So I'm still discerning it, but what I've noticed is this. So many people are online now. So many ministries that used to be ministries where they traveled and spoke at conferences, that's just basically all cavitated. It's just crushed, crashed and burned for the most part. So most of these folks have had to reimagine, revision, and then relaunch their ministries online. Most of them on YouTube, some of them on Facebook, a few of them on both. And so on these platforms, they typically will have some combination of a podcast, a video, or a vlog. Um, they'll interview people or they'll give commentaries on what's happening in the church. And then behind those are typically things like, hey, I have this course and buy my course. Or I, I'm, I'm going to host this event, a virtual event. Sign up for the event. Or um, I have some resources and you can become a monthly subscriber, and I'll give you some of these resources. And it's one of those things where when I see a lot of what's being offered, it's a lot of, like part of me says, why would you sell all that stuff? Because you can get pretty much all that content that you're talking about for free. Now, it's not that easy to find it. It's not that easy to get it in organized fashion, but a lot of that's really just like free. So what I don't want to do is be a Catholic guy who's able to say, I know how to speak a marketing message that says, I know your pain. I know what you're struggling with. Now listen to me name how the, the struggles that you're facing in your life are really a burden to you. And you know what? I've got the solution. Sign up for my solution. And for me, that especially when the solution is go watch these videos, that's really sad because... First of all, guy, like if it's for guys watching videos, like nine out of 10 of these guys are not going to watch the videos. Maybe it's not quite that high, but of the guys who watch the videos, the actual degree of impact that those videos are going to have, it's just not that great because that just has so little power to affect people's lives. What does affect people's lives is living contact, living contact. And so that's why I'm, I'm struck by, okay, Lord, if I, if I do this, I want to do this in a way that actually has a real opportunity to change lives. And so that's why I love the idea of actually praying with people on Facebook, because I know it's living contact with the living Lord through prayer. It elevates people's faith. It elevates their sense of God spoke to me and he's with me right now. And I sense his presence. I just have so many testimonies of people who are so grateful for that living prayer. But then I'd love to do actually like a living, walking with a group of guys. It's like I talk so much about being a husband and a father and raising guys in faith and helping them actually fight the battles that men face and, and be better at it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I would never, I shouldn't say never, but I would be so slow to say, I've taken my best insights and I've put them into some teachings for you and now sign up, pay me all this money and then you're going to get to watch these videos. No, what I would do is I'd, I'd find like a group of five guys and I'm going to be like, look, I'm going to walk with you guys. As a group, we'll walk together and then individually I'll walk with you one-on-one. -on -one. And if you are serious about growing in faith, taking on this challenge, I'm with you. I'll invest all that I've gained an insight as a coach, all that I've gained an insight as someone who's helped people build businesses, but also all that I've gained in helping men be better husbands, fathers, and disciples of Jesus, and bring all of that to bear with a group of guys who are like, I'm serious, let's do this together. And, you know, that would excite me. That would excite me. In fact, it would be like, hey, and if you're married, we'll do a couples group. Carrie and I will do a group together. That excites us. And so I, I'm just sharing with you that I've started to take 
some of the basic building block steps to do something like that. And that's my way of testing. So one of the principles of discernment is you test and then you reflect. So testing means you don't just go all in and commit to something. No, you take a small step, make a small commitment, and then see what happens. And then if, if, if it's positive, if you get a sense of peace and a sense of, okay, I see that the Lord is actually blessing this. Okay, let me take a further step, a further level of commitment. And then if I get peace with that, then I'll go further and take a bigger step. So it's, it's essentially like, Lord, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste time. And I don't want to waste people's money. But I, I don't want to waste time, the precious time that I have left that is here on earth with so much at stake for so many Catholic families and Catholic lives. And so I, I think I would just simply say it this way, Lord, if you were saying to me that you offered me the opportunity to do this and that you would take care of me and that I, I would surrender pursuing another contract to pay for my bills, that you've got me covered, I'd do it. I do it in a heartbeat because it's my passion. It's what I've had the privilege to do for the greater portion of my adult life. And it's what I would want to spend with the time that remains. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. And I'm sharing with you, I just shared with you some, I call it living discernment. And so as you, if you just heard what I shared, I shared that with you for well, a couple of reasons. The first is, if you have any feedback for me about that, like, do you, what's your sense when you heard that? Like, is that a yes, Tom? Or is that, Tom, that's a kind of a risky proposition. I would really think about that. What you're doing is fine. I'm not sure that you really need to do more. Um, but if your sense is, uh, that rings true. It feels like you would be a voice that would be super helpful in the realm of prayer as well as in doing some more catechesis. Uh, that's a sort of a second desire of mine online would be to do some living teaching of the faith with people. I love when I have a chance to do it, even over Zoom, as hard as that can be. I've done it so much. I feel really comfortable offering teachings over Zoom in a, in a way that people find tend to find a bit more interactive and engaging than a simple talking head giving a talk, like, why do I even have to listen to this? So... That itself would also be something that I would find really, really interesting. So a way to help couples or men to be able to grow in faith in a group setting, but then also to do that one-on-one -on -one contact for guys that are really serious. So if that's something that you think is like striking, like, yeah, uh, that is, I confirm that, then just email me. I'd really actually be interested in hearing from you about that. Tom at mycatholicfaith.com. Dot org. Uh, sincerely, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts. Uh, how does that strike you? Tom at mycatholicfaith.org. And um, I'd love to get your feedback on that. As I look, um, I, I don't spend a ton of time on Facebook or on YouTube, but what has become clearer to me is that there are some issues in the life of the church that have become so polarizing that there, there, it's a naive notion to think that there is like a neutral middle ground that people are going to agree on or that some voice of reason is going to step in and say, wow, man, you really have been able to overcome the intensity and ferocity of the statements on these two extremes, and you've really carved out some middle ground. That is completely naive. So I can just identify a couple of these for instances. One is um, traditional Latin Mass versus Novus Ordo, the new Mass, right? The Mass that mm, the great majority of us know and, and have attended throughout our lives. Um, but, you know, Mass in English versus Latin, okay, just to keep it simple. Um, and I know that's not right, but you get it. So good luck on a social media platform having a conversation that's civil, 
that is interesting, that brings insight um, around the attitudes of those who attend the traditional Latin Mass, on the one hand, Pharisaic, judgmental, self-righteous, um, quirky, broken, psychologically not put together, uh, hunkering down and hiding from the world, uh, overly rigid and narrow. Uh, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. <laughs> On the one hand, and then uh, the the counter proposal is, well, the Novus Ordo, the Mass English, it's compromised, it's irreverent, it's casual, you don't hear the fullness of the church's teaching preached, and it's it's literally bleeding out people on probably a weekly basis, and the average attendee is in their 50s or older, and it's completely ineffective as an actual means of evangelizing or catechizing, not in theory, but in actual practice. It has done more to drive people and lose people in the practice of their faith than to draw people to the faith. Okay, does that pretty much summarize that side of it? Yeah, good luck finding a middle, right? Good luck finding some middle ground between folks who hold those kind of positions. And um, it's funny because, um, boy, I thought at the beginning I could kind of bridge these worlds and take this middle place and say, no, 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 let me explain. That's not like that. No. <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Or Pope Francis. And underneath Pope Francis, you could say the bishops. So you have these two sides again, where you have a whole bunch of folks who will say things like, um, you know what, when I um, first saw Pope Francis step forward as Pope, and began to hear his story and watch him live the papacy, it was so inspiring. It was like different in a, like an eye-opening way, his emphasis on mercy, uh, learning more about like just watching how he lived and humble, 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 right? It was like stunning. And then all of a sudden you started to hear like comments and who am I to judge and like statements that he would make in interview settings. And so it was like, wait a minute now, that's probably not a wise thing to say, but he didn't say it like during a homily or in a formal document. Oh, then all of a sudden it's like, well, he said this in a homily or he was reported to have said this in a private audience or and then it's just like, wait a minute, he says this in this document or this synod, or he's appointing these people to be cardinals and like, he's not taking action here, but he's taking action here. And it's like, what is going on? And people that started out as like defenders of the Pope, all of a sudden ended up saying, I, I don't know how to defend that. I can't, I'm not, I'm going to stop defending. Uh, I'm not going to say that he's a heretic, but I'm going to just say that I can't defend him anymore. Well, then you have the people that go further than that and just say, you know, this, what he's doing is completely against the church's teaching and et cetera, et cetera. But then you have on the other side, the folks who are like, it's the vicar of Christ, calm down. You don't believe the crazy voices of the extreme uh, conservative side of things, they are going to just lead you astray and then speak uh, in a way that says the Pope has stayed in his lane and has highlighted elements of the church's teaching that are very beautiful and powerful and are actually drawing some people back to the faith. So you get these kind, and, and how dare you criticize the Vicar of Christ? Like you're way beyond your pay grade. And the social media platforms have made uh, the concept of impiety far too prominent with the criticism of bishops and cardinals and uh, ecclesiastical structures and the Pope himself, right? No middle ground. There's just no middle ground. Uh, and to say, well, we can bring everybody together around this or around that, other than the, like, um, like most abstract kinds of things, like, well, the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic, the church is inde indefectible and will never fall away from the faith. Ta-da, there you go. Well, I, I think we all agree with that. <laughs> um, and then you have 
so anyway, so you have these kind of issues, and then you have, I'll we'll just speak one more, and that is when to be silent and when to speak. When to be silent and to trust that I don't know all the things that are going on. There's more to the story than you imagine, and the bishops are in the positions they are for a reason, and so trust and live your life of faith peacefully. Versus those who look and say, with all of the extreme, immoral, diabolically disorienting things happening in our culture, how can you not speak? You are utterly failing in your call as a successor of the apostles if you don't address these things out loud with clarity, courage, conviction, and lead the way for your priests and your laity to get behind you and actually push back, fight back against gender ideology, against gay marriage, against, 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 right? Against abortion, against uh, physician-assisted suicide, against like just these horrors that are just destroying, destroying families' lives and leading them away from God and away from a Christian faith. So it's like, is silence really the best thing you can do? Or um, having like a really like a, like we're going to just stay at the table and we're going to stay in dialogue and we're going to be respectful, tolerant, and compassionate. And we're going to eventually like win them over with kindness. Or I don't know what the strategy is, but it's not working. So when I like see all of these things like bubbling up, when I talk about the idea of doing like more church ministry, especially online, it's like got nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with helping my brothers and sisters who are trying to raise families to preserve their kids' salvation, their peace, their freedom from anxiety, from depression, from soul-destroying, peace-destroying, mind-destroying ideas that are being cleverly presented, like helping men stand up to provide, lead, and protect. It's so much more practical and engaging. That's what I'm passionate about. Back in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. So interesting conversation Carrie and I had this morning. Um, We're talking about um, podcasts, in fact. Carrie was saying that she was listening to a couple of like the more popular Catholic podcasters and the guests, and she said that she noticed something that a lot of the guests, when they talk about their lives, they will like mentioned discreetly the fact that when they were teens, they fell into these sins, uh, you know, the typical sins, the partying, the drugs, the fooling around, um, to some degree or other, and it was a dark time for them, and they were very broken. And she said one of the things that she's noticing more is that a lot of the people are talking about the wounds they had that somehow were at least influencing, if not impacting greatly, the like impetus for making these kinds of decisions. And Carrie's like, I don't know why people do that. I don't know why they don't just like acknowledge out loud that sin at first blush is a lot more fun than virtue. It's like, why don't they just acknowledge that? Why don't they just say out loud that the kind of sins they're talking about, partying with friends and drinking, maybe uh, dabbling in drugs or fooling around. These are like intense pleasures. They're at a surface level, first blush, very satisfying. They uh, will help to fill a, an empty place in a heart. They will help um, a lot of young people to belong to a group Um, they find a lot of first blush, initial experience, a lot of pleasure, a lot of satisfaction. It's a lot more fun to be sinful at first than to be virtuous, to deny oneself, to sacrifice, to give up something, to walk away from something, to say no to something, to be able to restrain and refrain in the midst of social pressures, in the midst of parties, in the midst of these challenging moments that so many kids face. And so she's like, why don't they just say that? And I'm like, you know, I, I, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because 
it's it's really true. And it's only after kids experience the fact that the first blush experience is not the last experience, that it leaves them even in a darker place, in a depressed place, in a broken place, in a place of the bondage that sin brings in their minds, in their hearts, in their relationships, in their lives. This stuff just doesn't work and work out for really very long. And so it's like, say that out loud. You know, own that. Own that part of things. And and it got me talking with Kerry about the the concept of desire. And it was um, it was really interesting. Um, we're talking about desire, and, and I just pointed back to St. Augustine and how um, uh, she, she was actually talking about sin. And she was saying, like, why we as Catholics have a ninth commandment that's different than the tenth commandment. The ninth commandment is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So the ninth commandment is against lust. It's against the sin of lust. And then the other overflow sins connected with lust, like pornography and um, things like that. And so uh, masturbation. So these are examples of, um, of that sin, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And then thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods is it's a different thing. And she was like, well, why is it different? And I said, well, the ninth commandment is pointing to the fact that we're made for relationships. We're not only created by God, we're created for God. And she said, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, if we're created by God, it could be like a rock or a flower or a tree. But if you're created for God, it means you're created for a relationship. And that call to communion with God is going to manifest itself in the human heart. That literally that's inscribed in the core of our being is this kapox day, this capacity for God, St. Augustine, this ache in the human heart. It's infinite sized ache in the spirit that is meant for God to dwell. And when God dwells in that kapox day in that place in our spirit that welcomes God, we come to another form of desire, which is called yearning. So I said, if you read Augustine, what you'll discover is that the human heart is marked by the um, gradual awakening and the awareness of the ache that is inscribed in our being. And then when we say yes to Christ and welcome the Lord into our hearts, it's turned into a yearning, a longing for God. And I'm like, that's the fundamental structure of, hum- of the human being and the genius of St. Augustine. So for St. Augustine, we have been created by God. And so there is this, like, think of it as a circle and an arrow coming um, from 12 o'clock down around to 6 o'clock. And that arrow out is that arrow away from God, which is called the exitus, or the uh, act of creation, the act of coming forth from God. And for Augustine, and this is him like drawing an insight from the Neoplatonic tradition, that if you pay attention to your own fundamental experience as a human being, you'll experience this sense of desire. And that desire is a longing to return to your origin. There's a longing. There's a, okay, let me use a more existential word from more modern philosophy, a throneness. There is a, I'm casted forwardness. Uh, Thomas Aquinas calls it the fact that we are homo viator. We are on a way. We're not frozen in place. We're not still. We're on a way. So that that sense of being thrown, of moving forward, of that being, oh, being drawn back to my origin, to my source, that's called reditus. It's the being drawn back to God. And so we find ourselves in this moment of being at six o'clock. So you basically awaken in this world at six o'clock. And so having been created by God, so that is marked by a longing to return to God. Now, Augustine has lots of other insights, like that desire to return to God is less us trying to drive forward and more God drawing us forward. Ooh, isn't that really cool? 
And that's that insight about the love of God. The love of God is a magnet that is drawing us. So the desire you have to move forward through life is actually God beckoning you home, calling you in love back to himself. Okay, now there's a brokenness in the human being, original sin and personal sin. That's also a desire. Remember, you have these desires that are sinful. And when you act on them, at first blush, they're pleasurable. However, they have an impact. Ooh, listen to the impact of sin in Augustine. The impact of sin is that you are following a desire to return to your other source. Well, what do you mean, other source? I thought I was created by God. Yes, but you were created by God from what? Out of what? Well, it's out of nothing. You were created by God, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And so there is a tendency in us towards nothingness. And that's what sin is. Sin is you acting on your desire to literally destroy your own life, to break it up into fragments leading to nothingness. And so what's the great battle in our lives? Will we follow the desire for God through self-sacrifice, denying self, and allowing the desire for God to become so prominent, we welcome God into our hearts, and then we yearn for God, and we pursue the Lord? Or will we follow the desires of the flesh, the world, the devil, the desires that will lead us in bondage back towards nothingness, back towards a destruction of our very being? And that, that's a mapping out in St. Augustine, of human desire. And so that would be super helpful. I think like something like that kind of teaching could be very, very helpful to parents. Whether it's, well, whether again, it's men trying to battle their own sin, whether it's us trying to figure out what is that that's going on in our married life? Or what about what's going on in our kids' lives, right? And by the way, Augustine, it didn't stop there, right? This teaching, this tradition continues down through even till today in very prominent ways. So if you look at moral teaching, just for instance, on chastity, what's chastity? Chastity is this right ordering of the affective dimension of our own lives in in relationship to God. So it acknowledges that there's a brokenness about the sexual dimension, this affective dimension of our lives that we need to rightly order, but there's a disordering. There's a a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so chastity is where we properly order and bring peace to the desires that are in our hearts at that deeply personal psychosexual dimension of our lives. That's chastity. It's rightly ordering these loves so that they peacefully lead us to God in whatever love that we have for whatever part of creation and whatever human being. It doesn't lead us to nothingness. So there you go. There's just one simple example. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. I hope that was a blessing to you. Uh, I love sharing a little bit more personally about some of the conversations I had today. All right, God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.